Welcome to Maximum Mom with Elise Bowie, where you'll hear from women who are navigating the same messy journey as you. Lawyering, entrepreneurship, and mothering. What a trifecta. We're here to share tips, resources, wins, losses, and encouragement for moms who are raising a family while building a law firm. So you feel less alone in your journey toward a fulfilling career and being the best mom you can be. Welcome to the Maximum Mom podcast. It's so nice to be back. I feel like I haven't done a podcast in a few weeks. And so it's super nice to be back. And I am here today with Andrea Gellin. Now, did I say that right? Andrea. Andrea. See? <laughs> you had it right initially, though. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's ridiculous, Elise. Okay. Andrea Gellin, thank you so much for joining me. And thanks for your graciousness for my mispronunciation. Oh, no worries. And thank you. Happy to be here. Tell us about your firm. Tell us the name of your firm first, just so we know where you are, what you do, and then we'll get started. So um, my firm is Gellin Law PLLC, and um, I'm located in Poughkeepsie, New York. So Poughkeepsie is about 90, 95 minutes north of New York City, um, and it's a town and city in Dutchess County. We opened our doors in... um, February 20th of 2020, so right before everything shut down. And then for about the first two years and three or four months, we were in a location I had initially rented, just, you know, in another part of the city of Poughkeepsie. And then when we hit the two-year mark, I figured, like, you know, it was time to start looking to purchase a a, a building because I knew this is what I'd be doing for the rest of my career. Now it didn't make sense to rent for the next, like, 35 years. So we moved into our current space which is also in the city of Poughkeepsie on June 1 of 2022. And we purchased it in like mid-April and then had to renovate it because it had been empty for a number of years. That's amazing. Yeah, it's been really great. That is absolutely amazing. Well, first tell us what kind of law you practice. So we practice primarily three areas of law. The first is landlord-tenant. We also, in connection with landlord-tenant, do like some closings here. Like, you know, we're not like, a big real estate firm that turns out lots of closings, but maybe like four or five a month. And then we do elder law. So like estate planning, estate administration, trust and estates, and also a lot of um, Medicaid applications. So like gift notes for high net worth individuals who are going into nursing homes. And then we, the third area is um, education law. We, I initially, my first years of practice, I was exclusively an education law attorney and I used to represent public schools. Now I represent parents and both and students in disciplinary proceedings, and also in special education litigation, both at the administrative level, but also at the federal level. That is awesome. Well, I love that. Okay, we're going to have to go backwards now because I usually try to find out about your family first, but I wanted you to get out your information about your firm. Tell us who's in your family. What makes you a mom? So um, I have two children. Um, Eleanor is going to be four in August and Isaac turned one at the end of April. So he's like 14 months now. And, um, and I have a husband, I'm married and we live, you know, in the town of Poughkeepsie and Isaac is home with an nanny. Eleanor goes to preschool right now, summer camp. And yeah, it's the four of us. That is awesome. So you have a COVID baby. Yes. Yes. So I both got pregnant and had him during COVID. He was born. Yeah. He was born April 27th of 2021. So it was like, it was a little bit after vaccines came out because I was fully vaccinated when he was born, but I only had, I had like one week after I was fully vaccinated, like after those two weeks after your second shot ran, when you felt like you could like go out and live your life. I had like one week between that and when he was born. And I remember like on that weekend, we went to Connecticut and went to the aquarium. Like that was like, 
that was like our one activity. And then I went into labor, right? So that was our one activity. Um, oh my God, I can't even imagine. Well, I know we were talking a little bit before we got on. Your children have recently been vaccinated, right? Yes, they both got their first vaccine. Like, I, I don't know if it was a week ago today or two weeks ago today. It was right after it was released for the under five crowd. And they get the second one July 25th. So that is awesome. Well, how did they do with the first one? Were they both okay? Totally fine. No okay. reaction at all. And for my four-year-old, I asked her a few times. I was like, well, like, is your arm sore? Do you want like an ice pack? And she said, not at all. Nothing. And I also, like, I had no reaction to the first. My arm was sore after the second. And, like, a little more sore after the booster, you know? But it was, like, yeah. It was it was very much like theirs. My husband, like, you know, like, took, like, a week off of work, you know? Like, he, he was, like, and I was, like, 38 weeks pregnant when I got the second shot. And I was, like, they, like, you know, they make you wait there 15 minutes. And I was oh, like, yeah. fine if I go, because like I had, I had depositions after I was like, I'm kind of like cutting it close here. And I was like, I also want like, you know, I want to like, you know, use the restroom. I want to like pee before court. And they're like, we have restrooms here. And I'm like, yeah, I try not to use like restrooms because of COVID, you know? So I, so can I just go? And they, so they let me, they didn't wait 15 minutes and they didn't make me with my kids either. I was like, I don't want to stand here for 15 minutes holding them. So. So funny. Yeah. yeah. Well, now, have has your family, have you all gotten COVID at all during this or have you been able to steer clear of it? So my daughter brought COVID home from preschool in January of 2022 yeah. when things were really bad. And we really tried to keep the kids separated. But despite that, we're like pretty confident. My son yeah. got it too. He was like maybe like like nine months old then or eight months old then. Right. And, but it was also when it was really hard to get tested because things were so crazy. So he never right. even got positive test. My husband and I never had anything and we're pretty confident we didn't have it. It makes sense being that like hers was very mild and we were vaccinated that we didn't get it, but that he still got it even with our efforts because he doesn't have any immunity. Right. right? So, so yeah. So, but they were, you know, they were barely sick. Like the worst part was, um, was the quarantine. Well, that's good though. That's so good. We have really avoided it. I mean, we had avoided it this whole time. And then I just got it on, we went on this like river cruise thing and I ended up sick day two of the river cruise. And literally, I mean, I've been sick solidly for 14 days. I mean, it has been pretty brutal. And I mean, I've had every vaccine, every booster possible. Like it just, I mean, I had fever for like days and that yeah. was kind of bad. So yeah. It's so really the worst time to get sick because you miss your vacation, right? I like, I, there's been so many times when I've been exposed and I thought to myself, like, if I get it now, it's okay because all the work stuff I have the next weekend and reschedule. Other times I thought like now is when I can't get it because I can't give this trial to anyone. You know, I'm like thinking through like the work scenarios. Like oh, yeah. notably when I had it and I like called, I do a lot of landlord tenant and I had like called. I had asked the contact tracer who like, you know, when you test, right. that doesn't happen to you because you were in Europe, but when you test positive, the CDC calls you and like read you the riot act. And my daughter had it. And I was like, can you get me something saying that because she has it, I, I have to quarantine because I want to send it to the courts and like get my, I want, I wanted to appear virtual. Right. That's like my first choice outcome. And she was like, well, actually you don't have to quarantine. And she sent me the spreadsheet that shows that if you're a close contact, but you're boosted, you don't have to quarantine in New York state. And I was like, great. This was like, you know, like now the court's going to give me a hard time. And they're all like local justice courts. There's no consistency. Each one has their own rules. And there were ones that like told me I had to go. And I was like, all 
right, I will be there. Like I probably have COVID and I will be there. I didn't get it, you know, but, um, but other reports I called them and they were like, oh yeah, we definitely don't want you there. Like what I thought was the rational response, right. To like my toddler daughter has COVID and I'm breathing in her air 24 seven. That was the thing for me when we were on this cruise, you know, they were like, well, in five days, you know, you'll be fine. And you know, you can do whatever. At the end of those five days, I mean, I was still testing positive. I still had fever and was still really sick. And I'm like, you actually want me to just like, you know, ignore this. And at at first they were like, well, you know, you can. And I'm like, whether I can is a bigger question to me as to whether I should. And and because then the flying was an issue because they were like, there are no regulations. You can get on an airplane with COVID, with a positive test, with a fever and sick, and nobody's going to stop you. And I was like, well, one, I'm going to feel horrible. Like my sinuses were just a mess. And I was like, there's no way I'm getting on a flight right now. And, um, and I thought that's so not nice of me to do. And, but it was interesting because we were in Hungary at the end of the cruise. So they, they sent us off to a hotel in Budapest and they had a concierge person call every single day and check in with me and see if my symptoms were gone and, you know, and see if we had tested negative, see if I had tested negative yet. And so they had a very different approach. Like the people there in Hungary were like, you know, no, not a great plan to go hop on a plane with your fever, your positive test and your symptoms. Right. And even though, yes, legally I could have, but I was just like, I don't know. So it feels like all the guidance is so up in the air. It makes it really hard, I think, for people to make decisions. And, you know, I kept reading the CDC. I'm like, I'm trying to do whatever, you know, the science people are telling me to do. But then even that wasn't making sense. That's really concerning, too, that like that's the because I know I have a colleague who like who flew like a day or two after testing positive COVID, like not even five days later, because right. now they no longer require any tests to drown right. my understanding. And he like knew he had COVID and just got on the plane anyway, because like he wanted to go where he needed to go. Like just like no regard for the other, like a hundred plus people on that plane who probably he gave COVID to. Right. And it's really concerning because I'm considering flying. And we now know that even if you're vaccinated, you'll probably get it. You'll just be okay. Right. Um, yeah. And that's, I think, the thing for me that, I mean, it has been this really, I mean, you just don't even want to know all the mental gymnastics I played on this. I'm like, do I get on the plane with my positive test? You know, once I don't have symptoms, like, and I really struggled with the reality of, I'm like, you know, until I have a negative test and until I have no symptoms, I was like, what if I sit next to somebody who, you know, is like they've gone through cancer or they're, you know, some type of like majorly compromised and as hard as the COVID actually was for me. And I mean, like I said, I mean, I've had, you know, two, I want to say I've had two boosters, two vaccines. Like, I mean, I've had all the things I can possibly get because I do have like medical conditions that let me qualify for things, you know, early. And so I was just like, as bad as it hit me, I'm thinking, I don't want to give this to somebody else. Right, right. And so, yeah, it's kind of tricky. I mean, it was, I I was not, yeah, I found it kind of tricky and it's hard to know how to handle it, you know? And I mean, I'm guessing over time, it's just going to get more and more where we have enough vaccinations and it, it is just like a cold for everybody. And I guess it's just like the flu or whatever, but even that, I mean, I wouldn't get on an airplane knowingly contagious with the flu. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. I, I really wouldn't. I would stay home and I would change my plan or whatever, just because I do think we have to be mindful of other people. And I think your situation is one of the ones that for me has been one of the biggest struggles is I feel like people have forgotten about the little kids. I mean, and I feel like so many people just kind of were like doing whatever. And I'm like, children haven't even gotten a vaccination yet. Yeah, I, I do feel like I was almost surprised when the vaccine was released because I felt like and my neighbor is a pediatrician. He's not my pediatrician, but he's a pediatrician. And I told him, I was like, I feel like we just even stopped talking about it, right? Like we've all just kind of moved on and the virus has gotten milder. In that time, my children got COVID, right? While we were waiting for a vaccine, my kids got COVID. And like, that's why I was like, I was ready to book plane tickets for the summer, whether the vaccine or not. Like my husband felt differently, but I was like, you know, I'm done waiting. And then I, um, I also feel like the school's policies, like, I mean, I told my the director of my preschool about this, they should be different for children who are vaccinated, right? Like, I'm like, I don't need to know who's vaccinated, who's not in that class, but I do feel like if there's unvaccinated children and they're exposed or, or they have symptoms of anything, like even just the sniffles, they should be sent home in quarantine, right? Like there, I guess also just because I'm very pro-vaccine and pro-science and things like, I think there should be social costs for bad behavior, irresponsible behavior. Absolutely. And this is what we, this is how we accomplish that right so but um but yeah i mean there was a while where i was like not even sure that there was even going to be a vaccine for for my kids age group and i was like guess we'll wait till she's five right and then now the interesting thing is i don't think i realized i talked to my neighbor that the amount of vaccine that they're getting is actually really really tiny because they already put the dosage in half for the five to twelve age group and they cut it in half again and when the and then i was talking to the nurse when they were getting vaccinated about that and i was like so is there any way they can get like the five through twelve one she might have like called cps she was like, oh my God, I can't believe you like are asking that. <laughs> but I was like, I was like, this is just like nothing. And I was like, or then I hope that when my daughter is five, she right. can like get the right dosage because it seems like we already know that the five through 12 one is not nearly as effective exactly. as what the girls are getting. And now you're like cutting it in half again. And like, is there any science behind cutting it in half? Like, what's the rationale? They're half the size? I don't know. Yeah. I'm not talking. Yeah, and they're not half the size. I mean, clearly your four and a half year old is not half the size of an average five year old. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and like both my kids are relatively small. So that was the, but yeah, exactly. And also that they're getting like my, my, my one year old who's 18 pounds and my four year old who's 30 pounds are getting the same dosage. And maybe my four year old should be getting closer to a five year old gift right yeah see and that's the part I think I think it's such a struggle to try to make logical sense and thus logical decisions yeah yeah but I also kind of remind myself in these situations that I'm like I'm not the expert and so I don't even actually need to understand it I just need them to tell me what I should do right which is often when I tell my pediatrician when he's explaining something I'm like you're the expert so I'm going to do like what you tell me to do and so I just need you to like be clear right and like what you tell me to do and then I'll follow your advice so so ultimately like even though I don't entirely understand the rationale like if that's what they've come up with that's what I'll do and so well how do you deal with that I mean that's such an interesting kind of segue into being a lawyer I mean do you not find there's a lot of times in practicing law that people really they get confused and they don't understand and part of our job is obviously to explain it so they can understand it well enough so they can make a decision not us making their decisions right yeah I mean it's so different in different areas I practice yeah. Because I think like in landlord tenant, I see landlord tenant is just like very straightforward, right? Mm-hmm. And I have a few clients where I'm like, you know, where I have a few really good clients where I'm like, who I do a lot of work for, where I'm just like, you just need to understand like 
the risk if you do X and the risk if you do Y, right? Like I'm thinking of specific yep. cases, which like basically we, they, they have a closing date and we have to get it out, get them out by the closing date. Otherwise they don't like, they just have to return the, the deposit, right? But like, they don't right. want to do that. And then like, there's two ways we can go. And like the risk of the non-payment is she pays, right? The other option, she can't pay, but it's much slower and we just might not have her out by then, right? And there's a risk both ways. And I think like, you know, those are the easier situations where I have like a reasonable client who's going to hear me out and I can just be like, mm-hmm. here's the two possibilities. And like, you just have to decide, you know, and, and I usually say like, this is what I would recommend, right? Of these two years, one I think is more appealing, but you know, it's your decision. And usually those are like, usually the cost for me is the same. You know, I try to flat mm-hmm. for basically almost every eviction I do. And so the question is just what, what are you better off with? Yeah. I think right. the top one are like the clients who like, where it's not just about the result, right? Where I'm sure you deal with that much more than I do with that. I'm, I'm really lucky that I feel like I primarily deal with like low drama areas of law because I really have like not a lot of patience or energy for drama. And where the ones where it's not actually about the result is also about like something else. And right. I often tell people like, I'm, you know, I'm not in the revenge business. I'm actually like in this different business. And so like, I can't help you with revenge, you know, but um, but when it's actually about something else, like, oh no, like this tenant really screwed me over. So I want to like take them to trial. So if I teach them a lesson, and I'm like, we go to trial, like you're probably going to learn lessons too, and it's not the lesson you want to learn. So, right. um, so you know, like, um, that's going to be an expensive lesson. That is a really expensive lesson. And there's yeah. a lot of risk that the lesson you're going to get ain't the lesson you think you're getting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's like for landlord tenant, like I'm in justice court. Like it's not predictable. Right. Different judge every hundred, every right. 10 feet, right? every 10 miles, you go to a new town, you're within in front of a new judge, like who doesn't care what all the other judges think or what like, you know, the precedent says. I, I have like one of my best stories is, is one of my colleagues that I have most of my, most of my landlord tenant cases again. He's like the only other, there's only a few like attorneys in the area that do landlord tenant and I'm one of them and he's one. And we had a trial where like, it was six and a half hours, which was way too long for the landlord tenant trial. Like if I was the judge, that case would have been tried in probably about an hour. And we get to the end of like the trial. And so it's like midnight or 11 p.m. because these courts start at like 6 or 7 p.m. And we get to the end and the judge is like, all right, so do you guys want to like set a date where you're going to come back to try the case? And we were just like, what did he think we were doing for the last like four and a half hours? Like we walked out, we walked out and like. And, and Sean, my colleague, was like, I've like never experienced anything like that. And then the decision made like no sense. Like I prevailed. I shouldn't have I prevailed. And then it's right now sitting at the appellate division, you know, like like my colleague Sean appealed it. But it like when he said that, do you guys want to come back to try the case? I was like, I'm never going to forget what this feels like. <laughs> right? like never. Yeah. I mean, it's so true. I mean, I had a guardian ad litem case one time where I was the guardian ad litem. It it was very complicated, you know, multiple family situation. I literally testified for like seven days, just me. And at the end of that, I mean, at the very end, one of the, the attorney who was kind of like, you know, coming at me the whole time asked to put me back on the stand. And the judge just looked at me and she was like, no. She was yeah. like, Elise has been through too many days already. And I was like, thank you. And I just thought there's no way there could be any more questions. You know, yeah. like I had answered everything humanly possible. Yeah. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, I'm like, this can't be the right way to make this decision. You know, I, oh, yeah. just brutal. Yeah. <laughs> 
I love that. I'm not in the revenge business. I'm going to have to remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, like when I feel like when I say that to clients, the first, I mean, it, the downside is they need to defend themselves. And like, oh no, I don't want revenge. I just want like what's fair or something right. like that. But often it does also make them like, you know, like back down a little, right? Like I'm like, you know, you oh, should yeah. like tell me, make me a list of what you actually want. And we'll talk about the best way to get those, those things. Well, I mean, I have this thing that I have done forever. And I mean, I have some clients, they probably just hate me for it because they'll be on the phone, you know, talking to me about how they want to go into court and fight about this or that, or fight about some piece of furniture, you know? And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I always ask them, I'm like, have you thought about how this is going to impact your co-parenting relationship? You know, like, what is this fight you're trying to engage in going to do long-term? And, you know, most people are like, I have no idea. Like, that's not the point of this. The point is, you know, whatever, my grandmother's dining room table. And I'm like, no, the point is, how is this going to impact your family long-term? And I'm always like, I'm not going to talk to you. We're hanging up. You're going to think about that. And then you're going to call me back once you've given it some thought. And, you know, most people, obviously they'll call back and they'll be like, okay, this was probably not my best plan. Like, you know, maybe I should just go get a new dining room table. And I'm like, yeah, maybe so. Right. And it's interesting because I think people just, you know, it's so easy to look to the court to kind of solve things. I mean, it's kind of like what we do with children and, you know, yours maybe not there quite yet because the little one is still really little, but, you know, when they engage in all these, you know, sibling things, I remember spending a lot of time with my kids just being like, you know, what is the real point of what you're fighting about? You know, like, right. what are we doing? What do you want? You know, what do you think your sibling wants? You know, and I used to always be like, how do you all turn this into a win, win, win? And, you know, and I'm like, it doesn't have to be a, like the whole world is not a pie, you know? (laughs) And it's kind of fascinating, I think, to help people really look at their conflict from a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I mean, like, I think it, it's interesting because like in family law, there's obviously so much emotionality to it. And it's also, there's no just like dollar bottom line, right? Because it's not about like, like that's also true of educational law, right? Where it's like right. ultimately like there was a point at which I was like, maybe I want to do like tax law because then it's just, there's just like a dollar amount of money. And like the goal is right. to make that like the smallest you can. Like that sounds like, you know, something I can really feel like emotionally divorced from. I mean, it also sounds really boring, but you know, it's like, like I like saw, I was like, maybe that's like what I should right. do. But ultimately like, the reality is like with, with like educational law, right? Like there's all these things you're trying to get them. And there are a lot of more things money can't buy, right? Like sometimes it's just money for tuition, but other times it's like creating programs or like if the program doesn't exist, all the money in the world isn't going to, me being awarded a hundred thousand dollars a year towards programming, isn't going to work if there's nowhere to put the kid, right? So like there's nothing that there's no program that exists. They need to create the program. And then, you know, and then, so I think it's also nice to balance that against like landlord tenant law, which is ultimately just, you know, for the most part, it's just about like how to be efficient, right? to get them out of right. or how to get around like now we've got all these different especially in New York State a lot of different types of moratoriums a lot of my landlord tenant work is commercial right so that's so so like right. the, the residential stuff is quick but also not as appealing and just often feels grimy and um you know just especially here it's just like not always a very pleasant very pleasant to litigate that stuff but okay. then like the the elder law is also nice because it's like kind of somewhere in between where most of what I do is like um Medicaid applications for high net worth individuals where I'm ultimately trying to like figure out how to spend down money and like then you know and like move money around and, and do promissory notes to preserve some of it but like there is still some emotionality to it because a lot of people are really conflicted about like putting their parents in a nursing home or putting their spouse right. in there. 
but it's also in a certain way it's just very number intensive and i've always like like math was like the most strongest so it's nice that it's really a lot of just yeah math less emotion yeah yeah it's really just about numbers you know how have you and your husband dealt with you know having two kids at home now in the sense of how do you all divide up your labor in your home have you read the book fair play by chance or listened to the documentary fair play i have not but i think someone recommended it to me and it might have been on maximum maximum lawyer it's amazing it is amazing. Well, tell me a little bit about how you all do it. Like, how do you juggle having two kids at home and running this practice and yeah, buying so, the building? <laughs> right, right. So my husband, well, first, when it comes to the building, like my husband's totally like the real MVP. Like he, I mean, we had, he doesn't do any like construction, but he's like designed the whole thing and he bought everything and he keeps in contact with like the sign company and the realtor and the construction. Like he's basically, he just bought, I mean, most of it's just like him spending money, like my money to buy stuff. Right. But, but it is stuff we needed. Like just, and I, we needed like a new front door and back door and like, just something like the doors just weren't that secure. And I was worried about like our files. And so he's really like, just in the, just this past weekend, he's coming like all weekend buying doors and buying an alarm system and such. Um, we originally had the same alarm system we had for our house, but the commercial version. And then I realized this was like, not, like heavy duty enough for, for a practice. So, so, um, so, but in terms of like divisionally with the kids, so my husband, so I have a nanny like Monday to Friday, nine to five, my husband works. He doesn't really work nine to five. He probably, he did pre COVID and there was a time we had like no childcare, but he can't like not work because our health insurance is through him because I haven't even begun to figure out how I would buy health insurance for myself through this practice. Like I'm sure it can be done. I just don't know how to do it. So he, so he probably works maybe like around nine to three or 10 to three. And then he always has like lots of like little errands and projects he has to run, you know, in like after like those hour two free, like he often does right. shopping and he also has to mow like our lawn and my office lawn. And like in the summer, he also has like our pool has to be like balanced. There's always like something where he has to like oh, yeah. do guys it's like there's always something with one of the front with like either our, our yard or my house yard and then just like other things like i know today we like ran out of propane for our barbecue and he's like i have to go get propane today so you know that it's like he has a kind of an activity every day but on the weekends and he's also an avid cyclist so he likes to bike when he can on the weekends what i realized about our weekend dynamic is that i always make sure that like each day he has like at least a third of the day free to himself to like bike or do what else he wants to do and then usually the balance, some portion of the day, he has my younger ones that could do this thing with the older one, but I have at least one of them hundred percent of the time. Right. Um, so like, he like, so like Saturday in the morning, he went out to bike with his friend and they bike like longer than usual. Right. Usually he's just gone like an hour or two, but he biked a little longer. So I had both kids in the morning and that was like kind of a tough morning because neither of them was really behaving and like there wasn't anything to do. And like, my daughter wanted to go swimming, but I don't really like to go in the pool with both of them because I just feel like it's not that safe. Um, and because also she just like doesn't listen to me. So like if she ran into the deep end and I said no, she's just like, no, yeah. So she's no, no, like controlling her. So um, and then in the afternoon, I took them both to a birthday party. And so that was a long day. And then yeah. Sunday, yeah, that, and then Sunday in the morning he rode, but like not particularly long. In the afternoon, I took my daughter to Splashdown, to the whole water park here. And my oh, girlfriend, yeah. who's an attorney um, in Westchester, so like like two counties south, she met me and, you know, with her daughter. And so we did that. And so that was kind of like a typical weekend for us, right? Like, um, right. and then, yeah, and it's really like, ultimately what I realized is like, it's really nice if I can just do things with my older one because she's like 
of an age where like it's interesting to do things with her versus like totally. my one-year-old is just kind of like you know like a boring baby and yeah. so like I don't really want to sit at home with him you know versus my husband right sit at home and watch tv so and then during the week I do have like night court because I do landlord tenant which is often right. court here I've gotten a lot better at just like paying people for coverage like I realized like it is money well spent to pay someone right. to and then I'm like not gone for the evening. I am the special prosecutor. So in New York State, like oh. uh, uh, non things that are not misdemeanors or felonies. So like traffic matters, harassments, zoning violations, code violations, like other like trespassing, things like that are prosecuted by local prosecutors that are appointed by the DA in each municipality. So I am the special prosecutor for the village and the town of Rhinebeck, which is like this really nice town about oh. 30 minutes north of me. And so I have that at least twice a month, sometimes three times a month. And um, that's ultimately like, it was a big sticking point. He really didn't want me to do it. It's not a lot of money. Like I think I'm making something like 140 an hour there and I have to drive 35 minutes each way. And he just thought like, it didn't make sense, but I like really wanted to do it. And so that's kind of been a sticking point, but I have that like two or three times a month, right? Like once for the village, once for the town. And then often right. like there's one other like emergency arraignment or something else that happens that results in me having to go up just like a random a random evening and just like deal with, deal with something. Well, I think you would find fair play kind of fascinating because yeah, I would highly recommend getting, if you don't have the book and the card game, but really I think y'all could start with just watching the documentary. It just came out like last week and oh, really? it is so good. I mean, I think Eve Rotsky who wrote the book and she's in the documentary, you know, all over the place. She did a great job and her family, you know, is in it with her husband and it, there's just I mean, and I obviously have much older children. I mean, I so wish I had this when I was younger and my kids yeah. were younger. I, you know, just listening to you talk about how you make sure every weekend he's got time to bike ride, but it's like, where's your time to do whatever you want? You know, right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, I ultimately think one of the ways in which I are, in which him and I are different is like he really wants like the most time he has like lots of like hobbies and interests like he likes to bike he'll do other things like for me like going to the water park with my daughter like it was definitely oh, yeah. exhausting although him biking is exhausting right like it's not like the things that he does in his off time are things yeah. that are like sitting right but like I you know like I thought that like you know I enjoy water parks right so yeah. so I was pretty happy to do that but I like yeah I think ultimately like I, I have you know two older sisters who are 10 years and 12 years older than me so they're like 40 yeah. 45 and they're at different points in their lives and that their kids are like now young teenagers and like you know yeah their comment to me is often like you know that it should be more fair and I was like yeah but like they seem to think fairness is like everyone getting the same thing right where like yeah. I don't necessarily want what my husband wants right like no. I right. You know, so so yeah, I mean, their other comment I think is like, is this sustainable? And I'm like, well, I mean, I've made it almost three years. The answer is probably yes, you know. <laughs> but, right. I would encourage you to at least watch the documentary because I do think there is a lot. I think we women tend to get in a, a habit of just kind of doing a lot of the things, you know, just because. Yeah. And um, and I, I understand your sister's concerns about like the idea of, you know, is it sustainable? Because it does get so exhausting, especially as the kids get in school. Like right now they're at, I mean, doesn't seem probably the easy part, but this is the easiest part, you know, when they're 
like there are no like school activities and school science projects and all the things get wrapped into school where it becomes just this nonstop part-time job, just keeping up with just the darn emails, you know, (laughs) like, it's like, could you stop sending me 22 emails a day, please about first grade? Yeah, yeah, no, we like, my kids go to like Hebrew school or well, just just the older ones, Eleanor. she goes to Hebrew school and sometimes and they use this for mind app. And sometimes I'll like accidentally click, I'll click on the app, like not even on purpose. I notice there's like 14 messages and I'm like, it's summer. Like, what could they possibly have to say right now? That's important, right? Um, and um, yeah, and there's just lots of things. And it's also like, I was like, you should, I just think like they should just combine all their thoughts into like one message, right? Like, just like, don't set it the first time you think about it, just like give it an hour. And and then write an email, right? Yeah. But I've, I've noticed that there's just like, like the volume of communication when there's not actually anything to really communicate about. It's just, it's, yeah. I mean, it gets pretty untenable. Running your own practice can be scary. Whether you're worried about where the next case will come from, feeling like you're losing control over your growing firm, or frustrated from being out of touch with everyone working under your license, the stress can be overwhelming. We will show you how to turn that fear into a driving force of clarity focus, stability, and confidence that eliminates the roller coaster of guilt-ridden second-guessing and mistake-making to get you off that hamster wheel for good. Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time is a step-by-step playbook that shows you how to identify what your firm needs and how to proactively get it at every stage of the game so you are prepped and excited for the inevitable growth that will follow. Name the lifestyle that you want and we'll show you how to become a Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time. Find out more by going to MaximumLawyer.com forward slash course. I mean, we have, we had six kids combined, so it was a lot of children. And I mean, mostly it was four, you know, in like middle and high school at the same time. And I mean, the numbers of emails I would get in a day, I mean, sometimes would go over 50, you know, for school related things. And I remember just thinking like, this is just ridiculous. Like there's no way I can answer all these. And so, I mean, I ended up delegating the school emails to, I have a lady here in Seattle who I use for a lot of things and she could just go through them. And, you know, half of it was just like, you know, did you send in your auction gift? And I'd be like, no, go give them an auction gift, you know? Right, right. Yeah. But, you know, learning to kind of sift through all that and because I do think it just it bogs people down. And I think Eve's system with fair play is so game changing because it's the whole idea that we in our businesses, we create all these systems. We create, you know, like succession plans where if we go on vacation, what's going to happen? Yet in our home, we do none of this. and. Our home is run so much on this mindset of women mostly think of everything. Then we ask our partners to help. And if they're nice and good, they're like super willing to help. But it's just this kind of like nagging to-do list. And it's like the mental load for women to keep all that in their mind. That is actually like harming women's intelligence, like in their ability to perform in other places. And so it is a really interesting documentary. And some of the stats, I mean, and I've been really involved in Fair Play since the book came out, you know, and um, I mean, I've spent a lot of time talking to Eve about it. And the stats were still staggering to me. I mean, how women are, you know, they're coming out of college more, they're coming out of graduate school more, you know, like they are 62% of Caucasian women are breadwinners in their home, yet the workload, two thirds of women do the bulk of the work, you know? 
in the home. And I was like, that is so interesting how we just cannot bring that type of equity into our homes. And yeah, I think we have a lot of work to do in that. Yeah. My husband does like a hundred percent of the cooking, right? And like the food yeah. shop. Like there's ultimately like, and sometimes I was even just like a friend of mine, just who's my friend of mine who's a, who's an OB who I often discuss this with, but she works a lot. She <laughs> she just had a pool built in her house and she was like talking about how like she was nervous about like figuring out how to balance it. And I'm like, you're a doctor, I think it's gonna be really easy for you. But I mentioned like I'm like, yeah, I don't know how to balance it either. Like I might like, you know, that like there's also just like I don't think I even realize like all the stuff my husband does, right? He probably spends like at least five or six hours a week just on like outdoor stuff, right? Like, oh, yeah. you know, and if he wasn't doing it either, I'd have to, or I'd have to hire someone like, right. you know, but um, ultimately like those, like I, what I realized was like the things that he's confident in, he does no problem. And I don't even know that he's doing them, right? They just get done. Yeah. But like anything related to like the kids and anything related to like our finances, definitely he needs like some level of like supervision. Like even like with, um, like I remember when my daughter, who's now almost four, was like seven or eight months old. He took her to the doctor um, because we were concerned that she was constipated. And then we came back, and I, he came back, and I was working. And that day, and then I asked him, I was like, "So what did the doctor say about Eleanor?" And he right. was like, "He was like, she said, he said that she seems like a really good baby." And I'm like, "That's like what he said about like like then why did you buy fruits, right? Like I'm like, how did you get right from the good baby to the fruits? And like and it's interesting because I do special ed law. I've actually talked to the pediatrician that I'm sometimes not sure." husband entirely if it's like an auditory processing issue or it's like an expressive language issue like is he not always understanding what's said to him and he has a hard time communicating that to me or is the issue that he's just not good at explaining it when he actually did understand it right Right. but it's only an issue with things he's not confident in right like they say he like basically doesn't really get involved at all in anything and like when the kids should well i should say that's true like if i'm working and like and like one of them has a fever, he doesn't immediately notice. And he calls me and he's like, what do I do? Right. Oh, no, I got a number for the nutrition, right? But then like, I did realize my daughter's last day of school was this past Friday. And that I realized we didn't have like gift cards. I didn't right. have like cards to write, put the gift cards in. And then, so I had to like drag both kids with me to Target at 8 a.m. And I don't know why, but there was some reason why he wasn't, he didn't stay home with them. I don't know what it was. Um, or maybe I just took my daughter. Maybe he did stay home with my son. I remember that. And so I like bought gift cards and then I bought cards to put them in. And then I get in and I'm like in the school parking lot when I realized the only writing implant I have in my car is like a pink highlighter. So I had to like write the cards with that. And then, and so, and I texted, I have this group of friends that we, um, I, when I, when Eleanor was baby, I went to like nursing circle, which was totally like my lifeline um, with like, and we all like, talked about our breastfeeding issues and such. And then we started like a group chat on Facebook and we still talk every day. And I like texted them that like, I had to go there 8am with Eleanor. And then of course getting her to Target was like such a fight because she wanted to like yeah. buy everything there. Right. And then, um, I'm like, okay, you can have like two things, but like you can't bring them into school and you also can't like you like can't play with them to get home and like I'll call the nanny that I'll leave them in the kitchen. Like it was like it was like a whole negotiation. Oh yeah. And then, and then I just like texted my group of girlfriends in like my nursing circle circle about about like having to write it with a pink highlighter. And I was like, in my next life, I'm totally coming back. It was like one of those moms like has her shit together, you know. Like this was just one of those experiences where I would have just bought a pen if I realized I didn't have one in the car, yeah. you know. But yeah, so it is well the thing about fair play that is so eye-opening is there's an actual card game that goes along with the book. So there's a hundred cards to run a family. 40 of the cards are kid related so that it becomes really apparent. I think when you start actually going through the cards, because 
even if let's say your husband does, you know, so much of that yard work stuff and the, the cooking, the shopping, like, you know, which is all great. And that's all, you know, really important stuff. But if you're doing 40 of the, the child related cards, even, you know, 35 of them, I mean, you already have a huge hunk of things on your plate. You know what I mean? Even before you just get out of those children cards and it is so eye opening to see, I mean, my husband is so helpful. Like I a hundred percent thought when we went through the cards, he would absolutely have more than 50%. I mean, it never occurred to me he would not. But when we did it, it was like 70-30 in my favor. And I thought, what in the world? But it was the kid cards. Right. But is every card weighted equally? Because like, no. not everything's the same. Oh, okay. No. That's the thing that's super interesting about the cards. Eve is, I mean, she's really brilliant. You know, she's a Harvard trained lawyer. Like, you know, she thinks through things really well. And you have these cards that are called your daily grind cards, kind of like what you were talking about, like your husband, if he's cooking meals, that's a daily grind. And that needs to be counted more because it's something somebody is doing constantly, you know, and um, same with like the dishwasher and laundry, you know, stuff that is in that daily grind suit. But yeah, I would really encourage y'all to get them because if anything, I mean, you all might just have an amazing division of labor, which is, you know, super awesome. But the thing that I find the cards does, it allows you to discuss so much around why, because people in in the documentary, Eve gives a story about helping her younger brother when he was young and having to go into the kitchen at night. And they were raised, you know, in some like, you know, rent controlled apartment in New York. Her mom was a single mom, you know, like didn't have a lot of money. And she would go into this kitchen and there would be like roaches and stuff. And she is like a freak about getting the trash taken out. So she and her husband used to fight constantly about the trash. And when she started this, she realized like explaining your why really helps the other person understand maybe why you are wrapped around the axle about the trash or whatever it is, you know? Right. And that's the thing I find as a married couple, it was powerful to go through our deck and literally talk about every card and why that card even is in our deck. Like, do, do we even care about this? You know, cause right. maybe there's things in there. I mean, there were plenty of things in there. We did not care about, you know, like whether we were sending out, Christmas newsletters to everyone. Like, no, we don't right, care. Right, right, but yeah. some people, you know, that's a huge deal. And, yeah, you know, you need to understand that. So, I mean, it has been, I have watched, I mean, I've facilitated groups now doing fair play. And I mean, I've seen couples that have been like on the verge of divorce and in using the cards, they have revolutionized how they communicate, which to me, that's so powerful. Yeah. Well, there's a really good New Yorker cartoon that I, I've sent like, in situations that my husband has to put both kids down at night, which like maybe like two or three times a month, probably every time I have night corn rhyme. I keep right. doing that. It's like he does it and he's totally capable, but he definitely thinks that he should get like an accolade every time he does it. And there's this great New Yorker cartoon that has this picture of this guy vacuuming and then it has like a thought bubble. And it's it's him covered in like confetti and having a party and it says Ned helped out and it's like perfect. Like it's so on point. And I every once in a while send it to him when he's like making a big deal putting the kids down for bed. So I I'll, I'll send it to you at some point. But I um but it's like it's like so reflective of like
like where he felt like yeah he's totally capable of doing these things he just and like to his credit i basically never put both kids down because he always is home in the evening right he, I, yeah. he's the one that i was doing alone but i regularly take both kids like i take both kids alone to the bronco zoo went to legoland like but you know but like it is the case that bedtime is very challenging and he but but it's it's like you know just an example he like thinks this is like such a big deal and i'm like yeah, it's just like putting your kids to bed. <laughs> it's so true. Well, and in the documentary, Ali Wong, who I just find hilarious, she, in one of her comedy shows, she talks about how it takes so little, you know, for men to be literally just thought of as like dad of the damn year, you know, just yes. like, just they are, you know, they show up at school at one parent teacher conference and everyone's like, you know, drooling over what a great dad they are. Yet she talks about how it is that same little tiny bit is what makes a mom be a bad mom. You know, yes. like a mom, like, you know, forgets to send their kid to lunch one time and, you know, people are like calling CPS and yeah. And it's like, so, like, true. so true. Yeah. Oh. Like I, my old job before I went out on my own, there was this one paralegal there who was always like, so amazed with my husband. She was like, wow, I can't believe your husband like takes care of the kids so you can work. How amazing is that? I was like, oh, maybe I wasn't clear. Like, just so you know, like he is their father. Like it wasn't, you know, like, like maybe like that was an obvious understandably from the fact that I'm like married to him, but like, like he's there, he, he's pretty excited to like continue being their dad. Right. Like I just like, maybe there was like some really basic disconnect in this conversation up until this point. You know? <laughs> oh my God, that is a riot. Well, oh my gosh, Eve tells the funniest story in the documentary about her husband one night. He like texted her while she was leaving to go to Seattle to travel for work. And he's like, you know, somebody left a, a beer bottle and a jacket in our front yard. And she's like, okay, like, why are you telling me this? You know, so she did what all good wives do and ignored that text. Like, you know, doesn't require a response. Like, you know, who knows why you sent that. And so then she comes back like 14 hours later, flies back into LA, comes home and there is the beer bottle and the jacket still on her yard. And so she goes, I obviously gave Seth the benefit of the doubt. I thought for sure he was dead. Oh my gosh. And she, you know, she goes in and she's like, not only was he not dead, he proceeded to tell me he had three hours of spare time today, you know, to watch sports center and to go exercise. And she was like, are you kidding me? Like, who do you think is picking this up? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I've noticed like, it's also like, I mean, I think cause my husband is like just on the side of like communicating a lot and because he has a lot of time, right. he will like text me all day about things that like don't require a response. And a lot of them are like him making decisions about things in my office. Like he's like, oh yeah, I sent you like four sample letterheads. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't look at that. Just like pick one, you know, like they all look the same to me, you know, or, or like, yeah, he's like, there's like four different envelope samples. Like some have the window, some you like pull the paper, some you lick them. And I'm like, I don't ask my fairly literally. Does she want to lick it or does she not want to lick it? Right. Like this isn't something that like we don't need like 10 people weighing in on like like I would think no pulley thing because that's just like more paper in the garbage but yeah. like if she has some sort of strong opinion do what she wants but <laughs> but then so he just like sends me so many texts during the day like just since we've been talking there's been like at least 10 texts from him and I'm sure like then the issue is then somewhere in the middle of all those there'll be like one that says like you know Isaac fell down the stairs or something and he's like and then at, and then he's talking about it two days I'm like how can you not tell me that and he's like yeah I texted you and I'm like but you can't I have 
have this constant stream of text from you about like nothing, right? And then I'm supposed to like, or sometimes I'm just like offended that I don't read them all, right? I'm like, that's the thing. Like, he's like, you always read like Tara's text. I'm like, well, she's usually has to do like, tell me something that like is right. important to you know, like do my job. But like, so it's like the issue is that like, I feel like like husbands are really good at having a lot of communication doesn't even have to exist. Like a lot of things, like that thing with like the beer bottle and the jacket, just like fix it. Like, don't tell right. me about it. Don't have to know. Yeah. yeah. I don't need to know like the play-by-play of like, you know, the landscaper came and like they didn't take out the tree because I know you said you wanted the tree out, but like they don't think it's going to fall on the house. They think it'll probably fall in the pool. And I'm like, first of all, like, no, like get the tree out of it. Right. <laughs> like, but it's like, this doesn't I warrant want it you know? falling on anything. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It is hilarious. I mean, the juggle that we all do. And I think, I mean, I really think as a law firm owner, plus, you know, practicing law and then, you know, trying to raise a family, it is a juggle that is just like none other. I mean, it is really complicated. And um, I mean, listening to you, it just, it reaffirms my belief that, I mean, we are just all juggling so many things. And I sometimes wonder how we end up sane at the end of every day, because it is pretty intense. I don't know. I have found delegation to be hugely helpful. I mean, I delegate every opportunity I possibly can find, you know, so that I'm pulling things off my plate and off my husband's plate. I mean, I'm like, you know, you don't need to do the yard work. Like we could find somebody else to do that. Right. And because, you know, it does get just, it gets crazy. Yeah. Well, I can't wait. I'm going to have to talk to you after you've watched the documentary. Because yeah, I so think is it on, gonna, like, what is it on? What do you watch it on? Um, well, I watched it on like Apple TV. I mean, I okay, think, I you know, yeah. yeah. I went in and got it and um, and you can rent it or buy it or whatever. And I mean, you, somebody who has like a circle of young friends, I mean, I would encourage you so much to tell your friends about it. And because the more and more we can bring this to the surface and really, you know, get some change, because I mean, we're never going to have real equity anywhere if we can't get it in the home. Right. And um, yeah, and it's just, I don't know, it is something... And I think as a divorce attorney, I probably have such a strong bent towards, you know, people not getting divorced. Like, I mean, it's kind right. of strange, you know, I mean, I almost right. wish, you know, I did, my services weren't needed, but so many people end up in these situations. I can't tell you how many people I talk to on the phone who are like, you know, I've been married 18 years and, you know, we've been having this problem for 15 years. And I'm right. like, do you talk about it? You know? <laughs> yeah. And people are like, no. And they but it's don't, interesting. People get divorced because they feel there's no division of labor. I mean, when they get divorced, they're really doing it all themselves, aren't they? Like it actually, it depends. It's actually, you know, it really depends on their parenting plan. I mean, I kind of say to people, if you have a 50-50 parenting plan, each parent really has to be a hundred percent parent. Yeah. I think one of the things that's actually in the documentary too, I think it was 46% of women say that their husbands stress them out more than their children, the managing of their husband. And I think that is what a lot of women, when they do get divorced, it's that piece that goes away, you know, and Interesting. Okay. They, they don't feel like they're managing this other person because I mean, ideally, you know, when you're divorced, the other person is stepping up and they're taking more of an owner's mindset around a lot of the tasks that are happening in their home. And I think in, in typical, you know, heterosexual homes, women just often tend to take over a lot of these tasks. And we tend to, you know, be the 
project manager of them. And, and it's just, it is a, I mean, it is an ongoing problem for sure. Yeah. And, and I just, I didn't realize the root of a lot of it. Like, I mean, I've learned so much, you know, being more involved and reading a lot of the research that Eve's book is, you know, written what it's based on and really understanding um, some of the roots of it. It's, it is very fascinating. And, um, yeah. and one thing that I've, I've really come to understand more, especially as a divorce attorney, people cannot have resentment and desire in the same heart. And so marriages just are dying all around. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because one person is just getting more and more resentful and they have a hard time really vocalizing, you know, what's happening. And that to me is such a sad thing because this system, I mean, I have, like I said, I mean, truly have seen people who are on the brink of falling apart, really be able to turn it around. And because it just, it takes the emotion out of it all. And it really puts mm-hmm. it into a system. Yeah. Um, That's interesting that people find their husbands like more stressful. I definitely like, I don't find my husband stressful at all, but I, I just was talking to my sister the other day. And I think this is kind of like an even a dangerous path to think about that. Like, you know, like that I realized that like me being resentful, of my husband because his life is is easy right in a lot of ways and like his life is primarily easy right like kind of has this like easy just like slacker job right and like what she's good at and does well but like it's not a lot of there's no stress involved and um and he and like that you know like but I what I realized my sister pointed out to me like like my life isn't hard because his life is easy and my heart is life is hard because of like the choices that I made right. which were like a hundred percent choices I made that I should just own up to, right? Versus like, I represent all these individuals that are the parents of disabled children where their heart is like first so much harder than mine, but also like this is just something that landed on their plate and now they've found a way to navigate like handle with lots of grace versus my heart are like things that I pick, but they're also ultimate things that like make my life good. But like what I've realized is that like my being resentful of him because his life is easy doesn't exactly make sense because like in my life is not hard because his life is right. My right. Life is no, I think that's a, it's a great point. It is, it is a great point. And I mean, I think a lot of people aren't evolved enough to look at it like that. Do you know what I mean? Right. And, but I think you're dead on. And I do think though, that a lot of, I mean, and especially as your practice grows and develops, I mean, you know, your practice is likely going to become, you know, a huge factor in the benefit, you know, to the whole family of, all, you know what I mean? Like it's going to support a lot of things and figuring out all those pieces as you move along is, you know, y'all are in such a great spot now because he does do a lot of things and, you know, and your kids are so young. Like, I mean, to me, I mean, you all, like if you all got your hands on fair play, it would be so easy peasy. You all would be able to like figure it out so well. And, Mm -hmm. and your kids are so young and it would just, I think, I mean, just kind of be the icing on the cake for you all of just making your life like as lovely as can be. And um, because, yeah, I think that, I mean, it's awesome. I mean, you all have an awesome situation, you know, where he's able to to really do a lot of those things and, and have some of that time to help and not be such a burden on his job. Right. Yeah. Because it's I mean, it is crazy when you look at well, even just in the documentary. I mean, there's a couple in there. They both, you know, work like you know, hourly kind of jobs where when they get sick, they don't get any benefits. They don't get paid. I mean, they both had to go to work like before dawn. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like this is just, I I don't even begin to understand how these people do this. And they talked about COVID and what they had to go through with their kids at home alone 
during the school hours so that they, yeah. you know, they were both like, you know, workers that had to go to work all during COVID. And I was just right. like, oh my gosh, what people go through. And yeah, it's just, it, it's really eye-opening. And I'm such a, a nerd for, you know, anything I can learn about how to communicate better and how to like take potential conflict away from a situation. Right. Yeah. I mean, I am definitely, you know, I would love to see divorce just go away, you know? <laughs> I, I don't see that happening. No, <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. either, but I can still want it and I can yeah. still, you know, try to. But I understand that feeling. Like I was referred from a local financial planner, this file for like a Medicaid application. And the wife was like really upset about how she didn't want her husband to go into a nursing home. And like, so I ended up actually putting him to some care agencies to make a plan to keep him at home. And the financial planner basically didn't think that he could be kept safely at home. And he kind of called me up and he's like, yeah, I referred this to you for like a nursing home Medicaid application. And I was like, yeah, you know, I guess I'm a real believer that like we should keep people at home whenever we can. Right. And like, there's all these resources available to do that. Right. Including like community-based Medicaid, which is an alternative to nursing home Medicaid. And so like, yeah, so I understand that feeling. Like, I'm like, yeah, I spent a lot of time in nursing homes. So I don't like, I don't want to bring the people there if they don't need to be there. Right. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, it is so funny. My grandmother lived with us for a bit when my children were itty bitty. So, I mean, I had like, I guess three kids at the time, three kids. And then I was taking care of her and she had Alzheimer's. Well, it got really hard, you know, and she started like leaving, like, you know, we had built out this whole like house behind our house and, you know, there was like a locked gate, you know what I mean? All the things we did all the things, but she got to the point where she could get out the gate at night. And luckily I would just happen to be up all the time because I was nursing a baby, you know, so I would catch her. And so, you know, it was okay. Like she never got hurt, but you know, once that happened a few times, I was like, what happens if I actually ever sleep again? Right. You know, like right. how's this going to play out? So I, I did put her in a nursing home and when we signed her up, she was like so mad. She was like, Elise, I can't believe you're doing this. You know, and she was just like, you know, I'm going to be dead in 30 days. I'm not living in a nursing home. And I was like, grandma, you know, you're being so melodramatic, you know, like I, you know, I mean, went and found, you know, the best place I could find and, you know, thought I was doing a good job. Literally on day 29, the nurse calls me and she's like, your grandmother died. I was like, of course she did. (laughs) I was just like, she was serious about not living in a nursing home. Right. And, you know, the nurse was like, she goes, I'm not surprised either. (laughs) She was like, she just was pretty dead set on that 30 day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I know. And so, I mean, it's kind of a joke in our family. You know, my kids are like, I don't know if we can put you in a nursing home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh, kids. yeah. What do you do? I mean, you yeah. Know, you I mean, I have lots of files, especially with dementia, but there's really just no alternative, right? Like, there's just yeah. no way for that person to be safe, be safe it's, anywhere else. Yeah. It's really hard. I mean, that is, yeah. Well, one day I'm going to have to just call you because, I mean, somehow I'm going to have to hook my kids up with you so they can just <laughs> learn all the things they need to know. Because I was just thinking the other night, like, how is somebody like my age? So like, I'm in my fifties, obviously I need to start like knowing all this. So, so like whatever my life is, it's planned out in a way. So my children aren't completely one day stuck with, you know what I mean? Like a bunch of mess. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you have a lot of time. Well, (laughs) Well, let's hope so. But I do think, I mean, the knowledge you have, I mean, that is, it's like important knowledge. Do you do webinars and things for people? I don't, you know, I've kind of like for the past, so we've been open for like two 
and um, two years, and like we opened in February, late February of 2020. And we've been like so busy in part because educational, like no one else is really doing it here. And mm-hmm. landlord tenant, like I got lucky that in like June of 2019, the law changed and I did this presentation and I ended up with just like a ton of work. So we've done like not, not a moment of marketing here. Like I've never done anything and we've been super busy. We're actually like in the process of hiring another attorney, hopefully before I go on vacation. And so like, I've don't, I've never done any marketing. And I had a colleague actually, when he saw me move, he called me and was like, I just wanted to know, like, what are you doing in terms of like marketing? Like, what are you doing in front of business? And I was like, nothing. Like, I think all I do is just like treat my current clients well. And there's just like, and I'm lucky, right, that I do education law and like no one else does, right? And and so, and so like I kind of got the market on that without any actual efforts. So, so I have never done a webinar or anything. Um, yeah, like my synagogue had asked if I could do some sort of like in-person presentation on like estate planning, which I said yes to, but it was like, I think with COVID. You know, it would be to like a bunch of individuals who are high risk. So I think we like have kept putting it off and sure. yeah, so having followed up with them like two years. So yeah, no, I've never done a webinar or anything, but I think those are probably what I realized is like what I should do at some point is have like like a business plan and then also like a personal plan, like eating more kale or something, you know, but like at least a business plan, you know, with some sort of like idea of like, I don't know what the goal is, but I think it's to be able to take like vacation at some point. Like we're definitely super busy, right? Like, like, oh, like yeah. it's not like, it's not like to make, more money than we're making now, which but to have some sort of like system, right? And and so um yeah, so we've talked about that and that should probably involve, yeah. Like I did take a week off in June. I had a colleague of mine who I've covered for cover, but it just didn't really work because like my staff was calling me anyway because they're like, yeah, we didn't like Gary's answer, so we're calling you. And then and then all the a ton of clients have my cell phone numbers like, oh when we saw that you were on vacation, we just called your cell phone. So you know, so it didn't work. Like it wasn't a good plan. But now I'm gonna be in Europe. I'm gonna be in Hungary. And so like it'll have it'll be interesting to see if it's a better plan because like like they can email me, but they're not gonna be able to call me. I'm not planning on paying to like upgrade my phone to work in Yeah. Well, and I mean one thing I would recommend it, I don't know if you're a member, do you do the maximum lawyer guild yet? No, I don't know what that is. There's a Maximum Lawyer Guild. So it's a monthly group, like you pay monthly. You would find so many resources and help in that group. But then there's also, I mean, I'll probably, I will send you, I'm going to email you a bunch of resources because getting your systems in place so that you can take time off peacefully is an amazing goal. And and it takes some real work and and like direction to get there, you know, and I'm not at all saying like, I'm totally there. But I mean, I can take, I mean, multiple weeks off now and have, I mean, I think I took a month off last year. And, you know, the firm just moves along fine. And so, so how many lawyers work for you? I think I have 15. Okay, oh. yeah. So. And, but I mean, you know, I haven't always been that size, you know, I mean, I've had, you know, where it's been much smaller. And I think your idea of being able to take time off is huge, because I mean, you know, it is exhausting work. I mean, and you do need time off, you know what I mean? Because a lot of people think, oh, I'll go start my own firm and somehow it's going to be less work than, you know, working in a law firm. And I mean, yeah. that is I never thought that, but I thought yeah. the coverage that I had wasn't great. So I was like, right. if I don't have coverage, then I'll offer you anything. They're all my clients. I can do this. Right. What I've learned is that bad coverage was better than no coverage. Right. You right. know, like. Yeah, like even if there was still like they couldn't cover anything for education law, but they could cover the law and the landlord tenant. And then they would just reach out to me with like education law stuff. Like, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to adjourn this? 
versus like that was bad coverage, but that was something versus now it's just like avoid, right? Totally. So I'm realizing I told Matt, I'm like, I didn't give you guys enough credit for the coverage you were offering me when I was working with her. So yeah. yeah, no, it's tough. Well, I really appreciate your time today. It's been so lovely talking to you. And um, okay, well, and I will, I'm gonna send you though some of the resources and do look into the Maximum Lawyer Guild because I think yeah. you might find it really, really helpful to you. Yeah, the only thing I've done is I'm on the Facebook group. I didn't know there was anything else. Yeah, there is. And it's called the Maximum Lawyer Guild. And I think you would find it actually very helpful. Yeah, that's a good idea. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, you too. Thanks a bunch. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom Podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.